Well, good morning, Calvary. Good morning to our podcast listeners as well. We are going through a series on 1 Peter. And the last two months, we've been talking about this idea of that we have an inheritance if you're a follower of Jesus. And the inheritance that we've received is a relationship to continue uh, to live in that relationship. In other words, we're not coming to Jesus just for a get-out-of-jail-free card when we're dead. We're coming to Jesus because we believe he impacts the here and the now. And after you understand that, it should affect your attitude. And that's what we talked about the last month. And then we're, we're sliding into, and the attitude was the idea of having a submission through government, work, family, and all leading to unity. And as you do those things, and it changes our world around us, then there are some clear application steps. So the next month, we're, we're talking about application. And here's the best part. The application, the text kind of preaches for me. It's not real hard to find a Monday morning application when the, the text kind of tells you what it is, right? And there are commands. And so when you see these applications, I want you to really uh, realize this isn't just Daniel telling you this. This is the, what God's Word says and what God is saying. But before we do that, I, I want to talk about this week's kind of setting up next week's. This week's is really about how to start living with, as Christ wants you to live, even though the culture may not like it. Even though you may be going against the culture. And to do so, I want to tell you about when I was a little kid, I read a, an author at the time who was really popular. He was a Christian fiction author. And what that means for you kids, if you may not know what that is, a Christian fiction author is they take the principles of Christianity, but what they're writing about is, it, is, is fiction. It's not necessarily factual. It could be true, but it's not. Does that make sense? There was an author at the time by the name of Frank Peretti. And Frank Peretti wrote some books on spiritual warfare. And I remember reading these books right before I went to bed. Now, why my parents, in their um, wisdom, allowed me to read that book right before I went to bed, I have no idea, because these books were scary for adults, much less fourth graders. And I remember hearing and thinking about the, the demonic warfare and stuff, and, and it scared me to death. And the thought of it even being real scared me to death. Now, here's the reality. That was a fiction book, but here's the truth. Spiritual warfare is real. It just is. And I think that's a really good thing for us to understand. Because if we understand that spiritual warfare is real, it helps us to know how to handle our culture. Look in Ephesians 6 before we even get to, um, this is not going to be on the screen, by the way. I came up with these verses a little too late. But Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 13, here's what it says. 10 to 12, excuse me. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength and put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. These verses have been very comforting to me through the years. Because I think we need to understand is when the world is coming against us, when you feel attacked, when you feel betrayed, when, you, when someone feels like they've not done the right things, when you have that friend who is not treating you like they should, I think you need to re be reminded of the fact that our enemy are not, is not human beings. In fact, the other human beings were still made in the image of God. And what they really need to understand is that they need to understand Jesus. And a lot of times we punch people 
We're punching people in the, made in the image of God, and the enemy is trying to attack their life. And if the enemy can't get to your life, well, of course, they're going to go to everybody else's life and attempt to try to get to you and to everyone because the enemy is smart and crafty and wants to take us down because he wants us to not realize that Jesus is real and God is good. And maybe just maybe when you feel attacked, we need to realize the attacks that are coming aren't necessarily from people, even though they are people. But they're being influenced by the prince of evil who wants to destroy this world. So that's kind of the background I want to share with you before we start reading in 1 Peter 3, and we're going to pick it up where we start talking about the attitude. That was really cheery. Y'all are really smiling a lot. I appreciate that. It says this, Who will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be intimidated. But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Uh, there's five steps in here, and it's a, Peter's kind of assuming that you already have the attitude that we've talked about, that you're already submitting to God's will, that you've already understood the inheritance, that you're already a follower of Jesus. But these five action steps are how you handle it when the culture comes at you, how you should live. First of all, I want you to say, I want you to see that the world will eventually harm you or will come after you. And when it does, it says, you should, if you should suffer righteousness, you should see yourself as blessed. Blessed, happy, blessed. So see the blessing from all sides when the world comes at you. Now, here's the point where I want to kind of set up another story. I was on the, a great soccer team when I was five years old called the Wildcats. Now, the Wildcats was just this hodgepodge group of kids that gathered together, and I wasn't able to get on the team that everybody else in my school got onto. I don't remember why. I don't know if there was a conflict of when they practiced, but I was put on this hodgepodge team called the Wildcats. And the Wildcats back then, kids, this was not upward soccer. This was not everyone gets a participation trophy. And we played nine games, and I, this is not an exaggeration. We scored two goals the entire season and gave up about 100 and back then when we told our fathers that, you know, we, we, we think the other teams were being mean, they said, stop them, you know. They're going to keep scoring. They should keep scoring. That was just the way you did it back then. It wasn't like, uh, and so I remember thinking, this is awful. I love soccer. And every week I would go, this is like the time to shot. I love sports. And I, I, I remember being a little kid and I was ready to play. And everybody else was picking up the wildflowers and things like that on my team. And we were really, really bad. And I remember somewhere in along those lines sitting there thinking, God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? I was five. But in my mind, I remember thinking to myself, God, if you love me, why are you letting us get destroyed? Now, here's the reality. You know why we were getting destroyed? It was soccer. And God doesn't 
I'm sure he cares about soccer, but I don't really think he cares about the score of the soccer or if you win or lose. And the fact that we were doing bad in soccer was not a reflection of God punishing us. And that was not persecution, and that was not a trial. Can we all agree with that? And so I think that if we look down, and if your five-year-old kid is going through there, you go, ha good life lesson, son, right? But the reality is, a lot of times as adults, we don't understand that a lot of what we go through isn't actually the persecution that Peter's talking about. It's a soccer lesson. Why are you getting killed? You're really bad at soccer. Why did you get fired? You didn't show up to work. Mentally, physically, you didn't show up. What did you expect them to do? Well, they're persecuting me. No, you didn't show up. You missed 32 days of work in a month, in one month. And it was the month of February. <laughs> I mean, they had to fire. I'm being persecuted. No, you were just really dumb. Right? And sometimes that's, that's the card we play. And we, or we'll say this one, the devil made me do it. No, you just were, were dumb. And I don't mean that to be mean. It's just you made poor decisions. And sometimes we sit there and go, is God punishing me? Well, did you cheat on your taxes? Yes. Yes, God is punishing you through the government. I mean, that's how that works. It's called cause and effect. God is punishing you because you made poor decisions. That's true. That's not the persecution it's talking about, right? It's also not talking about, well, she was mean to me, and she's never been mean to me before. Well, okay, she had a bad day. The persecution it's talking about here says, if you're following Christ, and you lose your job, see yourself as blessed. If you go and you share your faith and someone makes fun of you, see yourself as blessed. And the reality of what that's talking about is it's, it's getting you to see the understanding of why you are blessed. Because when you are blessed, when you are persecuted, it's because you're not concerned about yourself. Because you're willing to put yourself out there for the glory of God. Because you're willing to, to be a, a light in a dark world and you realize that there's a price to pay, but you don't even care because God is more important than you. So one way to know that you are blessed and to see yourself as blessed is when the persecution happens, you aren't sitting around going, oh, this is so hard, poor me. The moment you're saying poor me, you're not blessed, but you're also not being a follower of Jesus who's living like he's supposed to live because a follower of Jesus is willing to go through whatever they need to go through for the name of glory to be honored. We get that? If you are receiving the persecution, see yourself blessed because God's going to use it for the glory. And why would we do that? Because we fear God, not people. So it says, if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be intimidated. What do people fear? Not being liked. Not being popular. Financial stability, right? I, I can't, what if, and you play the what if games and you sit there and you go, hear me, that is foolishness when we fear what people can do to us because God created the universe. He put the cows on this earth. Love me some steak, right? He put the vegetables in the ground for us to eat. I wish they tasted like steak, but we're thankful for them. He did all of these things, and God 
put the stars in the heaven and gave you fingerprints, he's going to get your back. Now, you may not be able to go on every single vacation, but fear God, not people. Why? Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And when you fear the Lord, you're willing to say, okay, this isn't about me, and so I'm willing to take a stand when I need to take a stand. Why? Because culture isn't always right. But let me tell you something else. Church culture isn't always right either. And the job of us as followers of Jesus isn't try to submit to church culture any less than it is to submit to the worldly country or any more than it is to submit to the worldly country culture. The job of the church is to submit to Christ. What he says. And in order to do that, you have to be able to understand why you believe. And the way you know you do that is you need to articulate why you believe what you believe. Do not fear the Lord, but in your hearts regard Christ as the Lord, as holy, ready at any time to give a offense. To give a offense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Are you ready to give a defense for what you believe? Now here's the idea of what it means to defend. I'm going to give you the Greek word for the word defend, okay? It means, wait for it, to defend. Right? The idea of defense means I'm going to be ready to give an account when people come to me. This verse does not say that you need to go on offense. Church, did you hear that? Show people Jesus on offense. Articulate your beliefs in defense, in the hope. So I think we would be wise. I, I've said this all the time. I, I teach college students. I love college students. And every year, every single year, I, I've been associated with college students now for, I think, 19 years. Okay? I love college students. 19 years running straight, I've had a freshman guy come and tell me, we need to talk about your theology. There's something that we need to really discuss, and I don't think you're right about this one issue. It's always a freshman, and it's always a guy. Always. And when they come talk to me about my theology, what they're really saying is, I want to tell you that you're wrong. And, but let me just tell you something. This is something, if you come to Discovering Calvary, you're going to hear this. We talk about this all the time. But theology that doesn't point people to theos, that's where we get the word theology. Theos is the Greek word for God. Theology that doesn't point people to God is not theology. Because theology has to point people to how good God is, how gracious God is. And what you're really doing is you're wanting to say, I know that I believe this and I'm right and you're wrong. It's no longer about God. It's about you proving you're right. It's about your identity, your confidence, your arrogance, and your pride. Repent. So when something goes up on Facebook and you're sitting there going, oh no, I'm going to go on the offense. Repent. You don't need to go on the offense. You know why? God's got this under control. He doesn't need you. So why does he ask us to be on the defense? Because you need to know what you believe and why you believe, and you need to point people to the hope that's in Christ. So when people ask me the, the hard questions, and you need to know these things. You need to, when you ask these, when you ask, like, what was your view on abortion? You can't just say, well, the pastor says. When someone says to you, what's your view on marriage? You need to be able to articulate not what the stances of the denomination that you're associated with. You need to be able to articulate what God says. You need to really dive in and know 
His Word and believe it and trust it because God is good. Now, as we articulate why we believe what we believe, we do it with the hope. And then it says, on, it says, this is my favorite part of this whole scripture, and I'm not supposed to have favorite parts, but I do. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that when you're accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. You know what happens when you defend the gospel? When you are able to articulate why you believe what you believe? When you're able to say, not only, well, this is what the scripture says, but you are able to articulate why God might be able to say something like that, even though you've got to be careful with that. You're able to say, this is God's design, this is God's plan, and He is God in heaven, I am here on this earth, so I better keep my mouth shut, you know, and all these things. And, and you do all these things, and you, you're able to articulate. You have to do it with gentleness. Because you know what's going to happen is they're going to sit there and go, you're wrong. You go, okay. You're not attacking me, you're attacking God. I'm okay with that. I'm not okay with it. But I am. And there's a peace that comes in my life. Now, here's the reality. Fighters and flighters, we talk about this all the time. Fighters in the room, right? Some of you, nobody raised their hand. None of you are proud of your fighter. Come on. All right. I'd ask the fighters to raise their hand, but they'd run. Um, the fighters in the room need to understand this. You need to articulate your, your stance with gentleness, which means less words, kinder words, right? You need to soften it. Now, flighters in the room, uh, that's me. Flighters in the room, Daniel Barry is notorious for this. Daniel Barry doesn't know why he's talking in third person. He just did. <laughs> Daniel Barry is notorious for this, though. He goes up to, to someone and says, oh, after I prayed about it, and I'm really, I, I, need, I, need, oh, I need you to tell, I need to tell you this. This is what I think God is saying in your life. Please don't hate me. Right? I, I, I need you to know that this is the right thing to do. And I'm sorry I said that so bluntly. And usually people come to me and go, Daniel, you're not blunt at all. In fact, if you tried to be blunt, I don't know that you could do it well. Because, like, I'm the kind of guy that I'll be, like, criticizing you. And you'll almost miss that I'm criticizing you because I want you to feel good about yourself. And that's both a good thing and a bad thing. It's a good thing because everybody loves being around the guy who's encouraging. It's a bad thing in that sometimes when you're leading, you really can't lead all that well because everybody just feels like I'm doing a good job. You are, but work on this. Oh, you actually wanted me to work on this. I thought you were just coming to tell me I'm doing a good job. Some of you resonate with that. Some of you are like, this dude is weird. Okay. <laughs> the reality is sometimes if you're a fighter, you need to understand that articulating what God says and God believes is not only holy and right, it will bring you peace. And you know how I know I do this? Is at the end of the night, regardless of how people respond, if I can put my head on the pillow, I call it the pillow effect, and know that I did the absolute best I could to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and articulate His love and kindness, then I sleep well. It doesn't mean that I'm always received well. It doesn't mean that I'm not sometimes sad at the response I've, I've received, but my obligation is to share what I know. By the way, that's one of our tenets right here. We're followers making followers of Jesus, and followers are supposed to share what they... Good, I hadn't said that in a while. Followers share what they know. 
And you can't share more than you know. So you need to dive into God's word and know what you believe, but you can't dive into God's word sharing it for the benefit of yourself, which comes to the fifth point of what we're about today, which is check your motives. I like to say check yourself lest you wreck yourself. Check your motives. Because it's so easy to suddenly twist this for your glory. I want everyone to think that I'm the world's greatest preacher. Right? So I dive in and I try to look for that piece of nugget that no other preacher has said so I can have someone come up to me and say, I've never heard a preacher say that before. And I'm like, oh, score one for Daniel. That's awesome. No, it's not about Daniel. We have a group of students that's going to the beach next week to, to share the gospel. Are they going for the purpose? And I've challenged them this. Some of them are sitting right here. I've, I've challenged them. Are you going with the purpose of glorifying God? Or are you going because you want to be thought of as a holy martyr? Are you going to go with the intention of being able to see people come to Christ? Or are you going hoping to come back with the story that will make you feel good about what you did? Subtle differences. But when he says there's a, you're sharing, keeping a clear conscience, you're saying, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm working in the children's uh, ministry. I'm working with the youth. I'm, I'm sharing the gospel at church, not because in my community, you can share it at church too, we need it. But I'm sharing my gospel in my community because I believe that Jesus impacts lives and changes lives. And we were made in the image of God. And the gospel is good because God is good. And the way that our culture and our world changes is when, when people come fall in the presence of God and see and taste and understand how good he is. That's when the world changes. The world does not need another arrogant person standing up on a soapbox telling the world how bad they are. In fact, we need the exact opposite. We need people shouting from the mountaintops that God is good and that God made you to be made in the dignity of a relationship with him. And we need to understand why and how to do that because they will know us by our love. And love sometimes is blunt. And love sometimes is hard to say. And love sometimes will challenge people. And love brings discipline. But it always requires love. You want to have a clear conscience, you've got to have love. You want to really understand how to live for God in a persecuted world, it can't be about you. But a reflection of the Lord, the love the Lord has given us. So how do we check our motives? We keep our eyes on the love of Jesus. In 1 Peter 3, 18-22, I'm about to read this. I always tell people when I read a passage, you look for the topic sentence, that's the main point. The topic sentence is usually the first sentence of a paragraph. So I want you to see this because this passage is probably the most difficult passage in Peter. It is probably the most, one of the most controversial passages in the Bible. I'm going to tell you why it's controversial, but I want you to see that the controversy is not the point in a minute. Okay? Got it? All right, here we go. Topic sentence. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. What's the point of what we're about to hear? Christ did this so that he might bring humanity back to himself. To have a relationship with God from now into eternity. Now, I'm going to read some verses that at first glance may be a little bit confusing. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation in the Spirit's prison, who in the past were disobedient. 
when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. In it a few, that is, eight people, were saved through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. What's the main point? Jesus died for you. Love him. What's the controversy of this passage? The controversy of this passage is, is this passage saying that when Jesus was spending uh, three days not on this earth, because he was dead, was he going, did he go straight to hell and pay for our price there? Or did he go somewhere else? That's not the point. And that is a worthy conversation. But can we all agree that none of us in this room are probably going to have a definitive answer that we know for sure because there are a lot of theologians who disagree. And God probably set up the plan the way he wanted it to. So whether or not we understand exactly how it worked, does it really matter? We don't have to actually understand everything about how it works to understand that it works, right? How do I know? Because God is alive in me. The relationship's in me. How do I know I'm married? I live with her. How do I know God is real? I live with him. Simple. So how God allowed this to work is probably not as important as it worked. Isn't that good? And then he goes and talks about Noah. What's that thing about Noah? The thing about Noah was the idea that even in the Old Testament, God loved the people. And he said, I want, I want you to understand that, that the water that, that saved Noah, because Noah was on the ark. By the way, people who decorate their nurseries in the ark, I, I love you. But you realize you're, it's a mass murder. You're decorating your nursery in a mass... That's another story, another time. <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> we want to decorate the boys' room with Noah. Now, if those of you who are pregnant, you're doing it, you're like, I'm, I just made your life horrible. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Send your angry, angry emails to Drew this week, okay? Um, the point was, God had a rescue plan for the people in the Old Testament, and the rescue plan came to fruition in the New Testament through Jesus' life. And what he's saying is, in Noah's time, God rescued people from water, and some people were killed by the water. And in our life, you are uh, symbolically, it even says the word symbolically in this version, in this time, you are symbolically saved by what you do through the baptismal water, or you're sent forever separated from God. Now, let me let me be very clear. We do not believe here that baptism saves you. Why? Because the thief was on the cross. And when the thief was on the cross, Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. They did not take him off the cross and baptize him. Do we understand that right? Now, here's the other part of that. Jesus says, the first command he says to you after you follow Christ is to go be baptized. It is a command. That was pretty blunt for me. <laughs> Love you. But it's a command. Why? Because it's symbolic. It's the testimony. It is the decree of what God has done in our life. You see, somewhere along my life, I realized I was desperate in need of God. And so I had to die to myself. And, and that being buried in the water is symbolic of I'm no longer that person. But as I come out of the water, I'm being raised to a new life and saying the rest of my life, I'm not going to live for Daniel Barry. I'm going to live for the Holy Spirit in me. 
you've never done that, I want you to understand, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that's the most important thing. You've got to come into your life to realize that Jesus died on a cross for you, and he made a way, and you were made with dignity. And the world may tell you you're bad, and the world may beat you up, but God never will because he loves you. And yes, you're going to go through difficult times, but God is going to be faithful through those storms. And yes, there's going to be hardships, but God will be with you. Come to him. Give your life to him. Die to yourself. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, then you can be saved. And, and what that means, we'd love to talk you through, but it just simply means Jesus, come into my life. You can do it right here, right now. If you do that, would you go by the next step space? We want to talk to you about it. Or you can go to yourcalvary.info and fill out the baptism request form. We'll talk to you about it that way. And some of you need to be baptized. Why? Because Jesus commanded us to. And I don't mean to be mean about it. It's just, it's a command. So the Monday morning applications this week are really simple. One, be obedient in baptism if you've never done that. But for the rest of us, it's really, really simple. We do as Peter suggested. In life, when life gets hard, see the blessing. When you're attacked for your faith, see the blessing. Fear God, not people. Be able to articulate why you believe, articulate with gentleness, and check your motives. Now, I am wise enough to realize that when you leave this room, most of you in this room might remember one of those five things. So let me encourage you to look at those five things and pick one of those five things that you need to work on. If you're a fighter, you might need to look at number four or D, right? Articulate with gentleness. If you're a person who is often intimidated by other people, you need to remember to fear God more than other people. If you're a person who's always like, the why is God attacking me? You need to see the blessing. Maybe just maybe this week you could take one step drawing closer to God, drawing closer to his presence, realizing that in the presence of God is where we find peace and hope. I believe great days are ahead. But as the church, in order for us to really follow God, we have to be all in. So today, would you commit to that? Be all in to what God is asking you to do. Be faithful as we follow him. God, I thank you for who you are. And I ask that you move in our midst. God, continue to just watch over us and guide us and direct us. And as a church, may we be loving. May we not fear culture. But God, may we not just be brazen and arrogant and pious in our attitudes towards others. May we see all made in the image of God and show them the love of Christ and trust you as the healer of our hope, the source of our strength, our peace, our joy, our love. God, move in our midst as we draw closer to you, even now in your holy and precious name we pray.